Esther chapter number 6, the book of Esther chapter number 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Today we're turning our attention to a new superhero. Her name is Esther, superhero of the faith. And uh, I want to read you the portion of her story that begins in chapter 6, verse number 1. The scripture says, that night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended to him said, nothing has been done for him. So the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to Haman, Haman is there standing in the court. The king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king and said, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has written, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered by the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Then shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. This week in my spare time, I was doing a little investigation on some cases that were solved with forensics, some old cases and how they solved them. And I came across this one particular case that really stood out to me. It was a case, uh, it was a 23-year-old murder case that had not been solved until... They found the dude's fingerprints on his five-year-old son's Legos, and that's how they got him. And I thought about it. That's a good subject. And so I want to speak to you today on the subject of his fingerprints are all over it. His fingerprints are all over it. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this message real to every single person, wherever they're watching, whatever campus they're at today? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... You may be seated. As we come to the book of Esther, there are a couple of things about the book of Esther that are noteworthy. Number one is that the author is unknown. Nobody knows who wrote the book of Esther. Um, I think this is noteworthy because people have speculated that it might be Mordecai. Mordecai was the uncle of Esther. He adopted Esther. She had been um, uh, orphaned because her mother and father had died when she was just a young girl. And he took her in as his own child, his own daughter. And so if you take that point of view as you read the book of Esther, you find out that everything that is written in the book, and you'll see as it unfolds today, is, is Mordecai's testimony to all of the good things that God had done. And I love this about this perspective on the book of Esther because it goes to show us that our testimony is not just for us. What God has done in our lives is not just for us. God doesn't just deliver us to, to make us happy. He doesn't just deliver us so that we don't have problems anymore. More. God does good things in our lives because God wants us to use our testimony, I like to say it this way, to terrorize the enemy in our life. Whenever the enemy brings bad things into your life and God turns around and does good things and, and heals your body or saves your finances or turn your marriages around, what do we need to do is we need to share those testimony with other people because other people need to hear those things so that they can be encouraged about what they're going through. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, the scripture tells us that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Do you know somebody needs to hear what you say in order to overcome what they're going through? What has God done in your life? Don't just keep that to yourself. That's one of the most effective ways of sharing Christ is to tell people what God has done for you. And so I love this take on who wrote the book of Esther that it might be Mordecai because then this would be his testimony. But the real reason why I came to this book is because of another fact about the book of Esther that is noteworthy, and that is, of all the books in the Bible, this is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God. 
God is not mentioned one time in this entire book. Unlike some of the other great Bible stories, which the main superheroes uh, give God all the glory and God all of the credit. Like, for instance, David. Remember what he said when he faced Goliath? He said, the Lord. He mentions God right away. He delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and he shall deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David gives God credit and God praise throughout his entire story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know their story. Right before they get thrown into the burning, fiery furnace, they say to the king, the wicked king, be it known unto you, O king, that the God that we serve is able to save us from the burning, fiery furnace. They give God the praise. They give God the glory. They give God the credit. But when we come to the book of Esther, we find that the name of God, not one time does it say they prayed to God, not one time did did they say that God intervened. The writer doesn't mention God once, but yet his fingerprints are all over the story. God can sometimes seem like he's distant, but he's the mastermind that is manipulating all of the moving parts in our lives. I like to look at God as the champion chess player who is carefully guiding our circumstances. He's the force that is unseen that is fighting for us. He's the one that is guiding in secret the steps of his servants. And God is that hidden help to those who seem to be helpless. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you feel like God isn't present or God has taken his hands off or God has forgotten about or God has has somehow you know overlooked you I want you to know that God's fingerprints are all over your life and when you dust not the crime scene but the Christ scene as you as you look back over all of the circumstances in your life you will see the fingerprints of God over so much of what you thought God was absent for and a lot of times we talk about the footprints of God but I'm here to tell you that God's fingerprints are all over so many things that we often overlook and so I want us to look into the story of Esther, and I want us to see how his fingerprints were all over this story and and maybe glean some things about our lives and how we can see God's fingerprints when we think that he's absent. The first thing that we see in the story, and maybe you'll see this in your life, and I know you will at some point, is that we know that God's fingerprints are all over it because you experience, or you see this in your life, you experience a sudden breakthrough. When we come to Esther, Esther has all the odds stacked against her. Everything that that could go wrong up to this point in her life has gone wrong. I mean, her parents die when she's just a kid. She gets adopted and raised by her uncle Mordecai. And then to boot, she gets uh, taken off into a foreign land. She's exiled to a foreign land and she's living as a slave girl in the kingdom of Persia under a wicked king by the name of King Ahasuerus. And, and, And sure enough, one day, uh, through a series of sovereign events, when Esther least li- is least likely to expect it, she doesn't think it's going to happen, Esther becomes queen of Persia. Esther becomes queen of Persia. Here is an orphaned slave girl who is living in, a, in, an, in an area in a kingdom where she is in exile, and she becomes the queen of Persia. She is handpicked to be the queen of Persia. Sudden breakthrough. Life is going wrong for her. Nothing's coming together. Then all of a sudden, one day, she just wakes up. Seems like an ordinary day. And God does something big in her life. I want you to know that the same thing can happen for you. God doesn't need a whole lot of time, but but one day may be your day. And when those things begin to happen, when good breaks begin to come your way, it's usually because God is up to something. And if nothing good is happening in your life right now, I want to challenge you to see what different options eyes. Some people see it as, you know what? Well, you know, God has blocked me in or I've been blocked in and I've been blocked out. I've been overlooked. Blessings don't happen to me. Good breaks don't happen for me. I want you to see it with different eyes. Maybe it wasn't that Esther was overlooked. Maybe it wasn't that Esther was rejected or blocked in or boxed out. Maybe it was that Esther was being reserved by God for the time of her destiny. Do you know that you only keep things hidden that are important to you? You don't leave valuables out in the open. You hide them in in safety deposit boxes or in secret places in your house. Things that have value you keep. And maybe, just maybe, God is keeping you because when it's time for you to do what God has called you to do, maybe God doesn't want anybody else's fingertips, fingerprints on you. Maybe God wants people to look at you and say, that's got to be the hand of God. Because if you knew them when I knew them, if you knew what they were going through, when I saw what they were going through, there's no explanation but God's fingerprints are all over it. Sudden breakthroughs 
or something that God wants to give us in our life. And I want to prophesy and declare over you that sudden breakthrough is coming into your life, that good things are headed your way, that God has good things in store for you, that even though everything may be against you, God is going to turn your situation around for your good. God wants to give us sudden breakthroughs. And when we see sudden breakthroughs in our lives, we know God's fingerprints are on it. The second thing that we see in the story that lets us know that God's fingerprints are on it is what I like to say, you start witnessing a bunch of anomalies. An anomaly is something that is out of the ordinary. It's, it's, it's something that's not usual. It's, it's something that usually defies expectation. And anomalies are things that kind of happen in your life that make you start saying, hmm, God, 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 what are you up to? I, I don't understand where, why this is going on and why that is going on. And anomalies, things that, that just happen that kind of make you scratch your head. And for Esther, one of the anomalies in her life was how she was chosen to be queen. You may know the story that the king at the time is King Ahasuerus. And King Ahasuerus, is, he's kind of like this really prideful guy. And he wants everybody to know how much power he has and how much money he has and how much influence he has. And so he decides to call a kingdom-wide party in Persia. The whole kingdom of Persia invited to this party and he's going to show off his might and he's going to show off his power, but he also wants to show off that he's got a good looking wife. He really doesn't spend too much time with this wife, but but when he needs her, he, he pulls her to his side. And, and so he, he decides that he, he gives her a call. And, you know, in, in Bible times, the king didn't hang out with the queen as much as we think that they would. Because we look at it through through our eyes and a husband and a wife. You know, they lived separate lives and sometimes even slept in separate places. Because sometimes the king, even though he had one wife, he had other people that he spent some time with, if you knew what I mean. And, and so his, his wife is, is doing her thing. And the king says... Says, I want you to send word to Vashti was her name that I need her to get get fixed up real nice for this party. Make sure she gets her hair done. Make sure she gets some mani pedis. Make sure she gets some glam makeup on. Make sure she wears, wears a push up bra that day. Get some get some butt cheek implants if she needs them. Make sure when she comes, she's looking real good. And he sends he sends word to Vashti, and and Vashti gets word. And she starts the first feminist movement that's ever recorded in the world. She said, I ain't coming. He said, what do you mean you ain't coming? She said, if that's all you think I am, somebody who's just, who you, you need to use to show off when I'm convenient for you, I want you to know that there's more to me than what you just see. I, I'm deeper than what you see on the outside. My, my beauty is more than just skin deep. There's, there's substance on the inside of me. I am not coming and the king says well if you decide not to come i just want you to know i'm gonna take away your crown and she's like you got to do what you got to do and i got to do what i got to do and you know let's just see where the chips fall and so sure enough the king the king removes the crown and and he gets all his buddies together good old boys club you know gets them gets them all together and he 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 says well so what do you think about this and they say well listen king i know you took a crown from you but she's still mulling around the kingdom here and, and, you know, she's still hanging around and she gets to talking to, to our wives and she gets to talking to our girlfriends. All our wives and all our girlfriends are going to think that they can do whatever they want to do. And so, King, you need to, you need to take care of your woman because if you don't take care of your woman, then we're not going to be able to take care of our women. This is in the Bible, I promise you. This is almost identical word for word with the little author's interpretation of what's going on, right? And, and so, so they, he says, well, what do you think we should do? And, and they say, banish her from the kingdom. And so sure enough, the king banishes Vashti from the kingdom. She's, she's gone. She's out. But the king still got his party going on. And, and because he's still got this party going on, um, sure enough, he wants to make sure that he has a, 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 a wife that is going to be by his side during this party. And so he says, now I need a new wife. What do you all think we should do? And check out these, 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 these nasty men. They said, well, we know how you're going to get a new wife. You're going to have a kingdom-wide beauty contest. You know, he's not interested in picking a wife that has the same values. He's not interested in picking a wife that, you know, can, can, can be a good mom. He's not, he's not interested in picking a wife that he has a lot in common with. He just wants a beauty contest, you know. We're just going to go for the beauty. And now, you know this is a man. Somebody, somebody who was a man wrote this story, right? And so, sure enough, they have this, this, this kingdom-wide beauty contest. And, and they narrow it down to seven finalists, seven finalists. Six of them are Persians and one of 
of them is an exiled Jew by the name of Ashtai. Um, by the name of Esther. Vashti has been removed. And so Esther has now made it into the top seven. And she wasn't even trying to enter the beauty contest. It was uh, entrance not optional. Everybody in the kingdom had to enter. And you know how they do it. They give the ladies like two weeks to prepare. And they send them to the spa. And they get their hair done. And they get their facials. And they get their glam makeup. And they get their mani-pedis. And they, they put them in their push-up bras. And they get their butt cheek implants. And they put some Botox in. And they, and they come out and they're looking as good as they can look. The only problem is Esther didn't want any of that. Esther's like, you know, I, I'm just going to go with the natural look. I, I'm going to enter the beauty contest without any makeup on. And so they bring the seven girls before the king. And the king doesn't even hesitate. And in an instant, he chooses Esther. How does an exiled Jewish girl living Sadness, I know I shouldn't say this in this climate, but how does a non-citizen become the queen of a nation? How does that even take place? What is going on that somebody wins a beauty contest that doesn't even put any makeup on? How does somebody who's an exiled slave girl get elevated to be queen of the most powerful kingdom on the planet at the time? God was up to something. His fingerprints We're all over it. She gets selected and she doesn't even know how she's got there. Listen, God wants somebody to know God is working it out. You may not know how it's going to change. You may not know when it's going to change. But you need to hear that God is working it out. Let me put a parenthetical around this selection for just a minute and tell you that I don't even believe that the removal of Vashti and the elevation of Esther was the king's choice or decision. I don't believe that the removal of Vashti and the elevation of Esther was uh, at, the be, at the suggestion of the king's friends. I believe that God removed Vashti and set up Esther. Ho, ho, let, me, let me explain for a minute. I believe that it was an act of providence. Do you all know what providence means? Anybody know what providence means? Can I see your hand if you know what providence means? In the first service, there was only like two people who knew what providence meant. And I was like, y'all need to read a little bit more. You know, you all need to just improve your vocabulary a little bit. Providence, sometimes we, we have a, a, a warped or a, a confused understanding of, of providence. It, it, we think that it kind of means God is sovereign and one and the same thing or, you know, that, that God can do whatever he wants. But providence is a compound word. It comes from two words. The first word is pro. Pro means before, and the second word is where we get the word video from, which means to, to see, right? And so when you put providence, pro video together, you get somebody who sees before. And, and that's kind of like a narrow-minded definition of the word providence, especially as it relates to the story. As it relates to the story, what it literally means is God saw, God sees a problem before it actually happens and puts a solution in place to solve the problem before the problem actually happens. That's what providence is. And this is why sometimes we cannot see God because God visits our future and we only live in the present and we think God has disappeared on us, but God is in the future actually seeing the problem before the problem actually happens and God is putting a solution in place and then God backs up here so the present gets his popcorn and a diet coke out and begins to watch the video that he's already seen providence Esther was providence Esther was handpicked by God to solve a problem that nobody but God knew was going to exist What was the problem? The problem was Haman. Haman was the king's right-hand man. Haman was the prime minister to the king. And Haman wanted to be the king. And so he went around throwing his weight and authority around as if he was the king. And one of the things that he would do was that Haman would make everybody bow down before him every time he passed by. 
And so everybody would just pretty much out of fear. But there was one person in the land that would not bow down before Haman. And his name was Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, who is also the chief minister of the Jewish people. And because he wouldn't bow down before Haman, Haman hated Mordecai and decided to kill Mordecai and all of the Jewish people. And the way he decided to do this was to get the king drunk and trick him into signing an order of execution of all the Jews, allowing him to build gallows so he could hang every Jew in the land on those gallows. And his plan was working. Except one problem, providence. See, y'all didn't get that. His plan was working. Except one problem, providence. Nobody else knew about this, but even before Haman thought about it, God knew about it, and so God said, yes, you got a plan, but I see the problem before the problem exists, so I'm going to put a solution up here where the problem is going to manifest, and that solution is going to be Esther, and Esther is going to have the king's heart so I can save the Jewish people from being extinct. Can I tell you that God does not fix your problem and come up with solutions when you find out about your problem but before your problem ever existed God put a solution in place God's not trying to fix it when you discover it I'll prove it to you I'll prove it to you Abraham went up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son when he went there he had a problem I don't really want to sacrifice my son And he looked over his shoulder, and there, caught in the thicket, was a ram to offer in the stead of his son. When do you think that ram got there? Way before Abraham even went up there. God already visited that spot, already put a solution to the problem in place. Elijah found himself in the middle of a drought, and he was hungry because a drought caused a famine because the crops could not get watered. And so God told him, he said, I want you to go over to a brook by the name of Cherish. And he says there, notice the language, I have commanded ravens to sustain you. I've commanded birds that are supposed to scavenge and keep something to themselves to bring you bread in the morning and, and, and meat in the morning and bread in the evening and meat in the evening. See, God can use anything in order to bring a solution to your problem. And God doesn't set it in place when it happens. God's got the solution to your problem even before it happens. And that's why when we read the scriptures, we think that God was wringing his hands after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But before there was an Adam and Eve and before there was a garden and before there even was an earth, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from before the foundations of the earth. you got a problem. God's already put a solution in place to your problem. Esther was a solution. By the way, did you know that you are a solution? Wouldn't that be good to look at yourself that way? You are a solution. If you're saved, you're a solution to anybody who needs Jesus. You're a solution. You're a solution to somebody who needs hope. Why? Because you might just have the testimony that's going to give them hope. You're a solution to somebody that needs to be loved. Maybe you're the person that God wants to use to show kindness and compassion to somebody else. See, see, we're not here for ourselves. We need to get outside of who we are and what our life is all about and start to allow God to use us. There's a bright world out there waiting for you to be a solution to. Go out there and let God use you. Esther was a solution. And here we find something happening to Esther. Esther experiences an anomaly. The anomaly that Esther experiences is that she gets elevated to be queen of the Persian empire and she doesn't know how and she doesn't know why and she's scratching her heads when stuff begins to happen that makes you say, hmm, God's fingerprints are all over it. But notice the second thing that happens in the story that's an anomaly. The second thing revolves around when Haman decides to go see the king. Mordecai won't bow down before Haman, and Haman is enraged, and so he decides, I don't want to wait for the king's edict, the timing of the king's edict, which said he can kill all the Jews in a year from now, gave him time to build the gallows. He said, I hate this man, uh, Mordecai, so much that I'm going to the king right now. 
And I'm asking the king to allow me to kill Mordecai and the Jewish people right now. That's where we pick up the text. Verse number 1 of chapter 6. That night, the king could not sleep. On the night that Haman decides to go visit the king to ask him permission to kill Mordecai early, the king could not sleep. He had insomnia. Have you ever had insomnia? Anybody ever have insomnia? There are two reasons why we have insomnia. One is what I like to call satanic insomnia. It's when you're up all night thinking about what if. When you're up all night worrying, when, when terror begins to grip your mind and fear begins to grip your heart and you, you can't sleep because you're restless because you're worrying about this and you're worrying about that and you're worrying about the bills and you're worrying about the kids and you're, you're worrying about, you know, the job and you're worrying about this and that and the other thing or the relationship and, and what's going on. You're worried about all that and you, so you stay up and you stay up and you stay up. How many has ever experienced that kind of insomnia? Can I see your hand? Come on, be honest with me. I, want, I need you all, if you've experienced, to raise your hand. Don't, don't, if you've experienced, I need your hand right now. I need a hand right now. Let me see it nice and high. That's good. Watch, I'll show you why I need that hand in a minute. Now, there's another type of insomnia. It's when God keeps you up. God sometimes got to keep you up at night because we won't give him the time of day. And so God's got no time to talk to you because, because you're just moving and grooving and doing your thing and living your life and you're just too busy for God and, and God's trying to talk but you won't listen. And, and so God's only got nighttime sometimes when everything's settled, when everything's settled down and, and you know, there's no more phone calls going on and, and there's no more conversations and, and you're not working anymore and you're just, you're just laying there in the still of the night, the TV's off and you're just laying there. And then the only thing God, that God's got to compete with at that time of night is your cell phone. Because people sleep with their cell phones like they're little, you know, stuffed animals. Isn't that the craziest thing? You know, people actually sleep with it right in the bed, right by them. I mean, just like, I mean, what? Just put, let the cell phone sleep too. You know, put it, put it off there. You don't need to address nothing at 2 o'clock in the morning and that kind of stuff. So God's just got to cut through the cell phone at that time. And, but God will sometimes keep you up because God is trying to do things in your life. And things are happening. And, 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 and you're, you're wondering why. But God wants to communicate to you. And God wants to tell you what your next move in. And, and how to respond and how to act. And, and so he's got to keep you up. Now watch this. Don't raise your hand because you think this is spiritual. But... How many ever experienced an insomnia like that where, you, where God has kept you up? Can I see your hand? Now, here's the thing. Notice how many less people experience that kind of stay up than satanic stay up. Isn't that amazing that it's easier for Satan to get our attention than it is for God? I think we ought to have a different focus in life. I think instead of, instead of focusing throughout the day on everything that's wrong... How about focusing throughout the day on everything that's right? How about, how about counting your blessings? How about being grateful for what's going on? How about, how about going to bed happy and joyful? That's why the Bible even says, husbands and wives, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I mean, make up before you go to bed. You don't even, how many of you know you don't always have to agree to make up? I, I'm getting ready. I don't know if I'm going to do it yet, so don't hold me to it. But I might be preaching a sermon series called Culture Wars. And I might be teaching people how to have a conversation. Because you know people can't have a conversation right now. You can't disagree with nobody right now. So, so I just want, it all begins in the home. Listen, it's no wonder why we can't dis- disagree uh, in a godly way outside of the home. We can't even disagree in a godly way inside the home. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, you know? And so even God wants us to go to bed. He said, go to bed in peace. Don't go to bed with all them burdens. Don't go to bed with all them worries. And so right now we have this king, this king of Hazarus, and, and he can't sleep on the same night that Haman is coming to ask him to kill Mordecai early. So what does he do? He says, I need a bedtime story. He says, I need you all to bring me a bedtime story. And so they bring him the book of the Chronicles of the King. And this book is where everything that's happened in the kingdom uh, is written down because the king can't keep track of everything that's going on in the kingdom. So sometimes he just needs, you know, a, a record to let him know so he can read it up and catch up on what's going on. And so they bring him this book so that it, they can tell him what's going on in the kingdom. And the first page of the book that they open to, you ever just open the Bible and poof, the scripture that you need is right there. 
make you go, hmm. Well, this is what happens to the king. They open the book, and the first page they open to is the record of how Mordecai stopped an assassination attempt against the king. The first thing that he reads. And what I love about Mordecai is in the Chronicles, it actually names the name of the two people that actually tried to take the king out. Did you notice that when we read it in our opening text? And, and I want to put this in church context right here. Is, is Mordecai got over that whole, well, they said. Y'all know what they said is? So when somebody wants to tell you something, but they don't want to tell you something. And so they come up to you and they say, well, you know, they said. And I'm like, well, well, who's they? Well, you know, pastor, I don't want to be throwing nobody underneath the bus. Well, apparently something's been on your heart. Why are you saying they said? And what you want me to do about it if it's just they said? If it's just they said, how do I know who they are? How can I do anything about it? And some people feel this, this, this crazy loyalty to they. See, the way that I roll is like, if I need to approach somebody about something, I just talk to them. Talk to them about it. And then if we can't get it straight right there, and it was about somebody else and going to hurt somebody else, then I do what the Bible says. And if you have a problem with a brother or sister, you go to them. And if they won't hear you, then you take them or they to the elders. You don't go to the elders or go to the pastor or go to a friend and say, well, they said. Why are we trying to be more loyal to the people that are causing problems than the people who got solutions? Here's what, here's what I like about Mordecai. Mordecai's like, write his name down and his name down and tell the king that I said so. I love Mordecai. This is a man of God right here. He's not afraid of what they said. And so he opens the book. And when he opens the book, the first thing he reads is how Mordecai stopped an assassination attempt on his life. Haman is on his way to ask the king permission to kill the man that the king just found out saved his life. How do you think that conversation went? Come on, somebody. God knows how to stop the plans the enemy puts into motion in your life. God will bring it to light at the right time in the right place. God has got you. God's put solutions in place even before problems exist. His fingerprints are all over it. And when stuff like this starts to happen and bunches start looking for the fingertips, be on the look, fingerprints, be on the lookout when the boss who never compliments you said, good job. When the money that always runs out is a little bit extra at the end of the month. When you and your spouse are not fighting, but you're acting like honeymooners all of a sudden. When the kids pick up after themselves, these are things that make you say, hmm. You'd be like, God, what you up to, God? When, when you start experiencing anomalies. Ask God, God, what are you up to? Pray. Seek God. Sometimes you've got to seek his face to understand what his fingerprints are up to in your life. Sometimes we can sense the fingerprints, but we don't know what's going on because we never have those conversations. Don't miss your season because you won't seek his face. And so all of these anomalies begin to happen. But number three, you know that God's fingerprints are on it when you start getting blessed in unusual ways. Haman shows up expecting the king to ask him if he can kill Mordecai and the Jews earlier than he wanted to. The king has just found out that Mordecai has stopped his assassination. Haman comes in, and, and by the way, the king calls him in. He says, he says, he said, I need, I need somebody to come on in and help me figure out what should we do for Mordecai. Is anybody close by? Haman was on his way. The king said, well, let him come in. Let him come in. And, and he comes in. And the king says to, Morde- to Haman, he says, what do you think we should do for somebody that the king wants to honor? And Haman thinks he's talking about him. And so Haman is like, yeah, I got some good ideas right here. And I'm going to put it 20th century. He says, you know them Hugo Boss suits that you wear all the time, king? He says, I think you ought to buy some for that man. And he said, you know that Lamborghini that you drive around with those, with those scissor doors that, that are on it? He said, I think you need to get him one of those Lamborghinis. And I think, king, that you need to allow him to push open them scissor doors and put on his Hugo Boss suit and just cruise through town with everybody lying in the streets and just, just bowing down before and paying homage to him. And the king is listening to all this and Haman is all excited about it and you know what the king says he says I want you to do it all for Mordecai and do you know what Haman does his 
his jaw drops. Look at it with me. Then the king said to Haman, he said, hurry, take the robe and the horse, the robe, that's the Hugo Boss suit, and the horse, that's the Lamborghini, as you have suggested, and do for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate, leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Do you know what that means? That means that God will use your enemy to bless you. And everything that your enemy is plotting and planning against you, God will turn it around to bless your life. Anytime the enemy tries to bring something in your life to kill you, God will use it to bless you. Matter of fact, listen to some stories in the Bible that tell us this. David, how did he kill Goliath? How did he kill Goliath? Who says stone? Raise it up. Be proud. Don't, don't, be proud in your ignorance. Go ahead. Don't worry about it. Most people are proud in their ignorance anyway, right? They're like, I know that's the fact. And it ain't even the facts, right? It's not stone. He knocked him down with a stone. But he killed him with a sword. But he didn't just kill him with any sword. The Bible said he walked over top of him. The, the, the stone was the stunning. It was like the, the stun gun. It incapacitated him, caused him to lay on the ground. And then he went over to him. And you know what he did? He took, the Bible says, the sword of Goliath. He took what the enemy came to kill him with. And guess what he did with the sword of Goliath? He cut off Goliath's head. And then you know what he did with that sword? The Bible said he gave that sword to the priest who kept it wrapped in, a, in, in, in special priestly garments and put it in the temple. And there was a time when Saul was coming after David and David didn't have any weapons and he went to go see the priest and he said, can you all help me? And the priest said, I don't know what we can give you. The only thing we got is the sword of Goliath that you gave to us. And David said, bring it to me. There is no sword like it. See, today's, today's victories, today's things that come against you, today's plans of the enemy can be tomorrow's victories in your life. Whatever the enemy has meant to destroy you, God will use to bless you. In your life, so many, so many examples of it in the Bible. Satan deceived Eve. Right? Remember that story in the Bible? What did Jesus use? Satan deceived Eve, by the way, who, who, who was a woman. And how did God choose to come into the world? Through the womb of a woman. Do you know why? Because God wanted to use what the enemy tried to bring mankind down with to bless mankind. That's why God picked a womb to come. Because God could have came riding on a cloud. God could have just appeared. He could have pulled the star track. He could have been like one minute in heaven, boom, here I am on the earth. He could have did it that way. But he came through a womb because he wanted to use what the enemy tried to use to take mankind down in order to turn mankind's life around. And then what did Eve do? Eve uh, went over to Adam, had a conversation with him, didn't give Adam an apple. Why are we picking on the apple? The Bible never says it was an apple. Doesn't name the kind of fruit. Apples are getting a bad rap. Apples are good for you. An apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? I mean, think about it. That would be an odd fruit. Matter of fact, it would probably be a cool fruit now that I think about it. Maybe it was an apple. Because if, if, if Satan used an apple, this is good right here. This is key. If Satan used an apple in order to bring mankind down, maybe God would use an apple in order to heal mankind's body. I don't know. Gave the fruit to Adam. Adam signed off on the disobedience. It was through Adam's sin, one man's sin, Adam, that sin and death came upon all men. So how did Jesus decide to walk this planet? As a man. Why? It was because through a man, sin came upon the world. So it was going to be through a man that sin was lifted off of the world. What is God trying to do? God is trying to let us know from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation that any time the enemy tries to use anything against you, God will use what the enemy brought against you in order to bless your life. It is not good enough for God to stop what the enemy is trying to do. God will make your enemy bless you. Sometimes the reason why your enemy starts being elevated when you think how in the world could that happen is so they get high enough so that when God forces them to bless you, they have the ability to give you something good. Pray for your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Pray that they get high. 
Because God just may put them in a place that they have to vacate for you to step into when it's time for you to be blessed. God will use your enemy to bless you. But then watch this. What I love about what God is doing here is I love the unusual ways that God is blessing Esther and Mordecai, uses the enemy to bless him. Meanwhile, Haman goes to visit the king. Meanwhile, Esther also goes to visit the king. I love the word meanwhile, don't you? You love the word meanwhile? I love it. You know why? Because it means even when something is happening in our world, something else is happening somewhere else. And, And the reason why I say that is because in our chronic humanity, we think that the only thing that ever goes on in life is what revolves around us. Let's face it right now. Come on, let's just be honest. We are the center of our own universe. Facts. Most people spend most of their time thinking about, working at, everything that concerns them. People spend little time thinking about how they can impact others. And that's why the scripture, when it teaches things like do unto others, it's so profound. It's because it's wisdom that we know it's right, but it's so far into what we do. And so what happens is we are the center of our own universe and we think all that is happening is what's going on in our life. But how many of you know there's a whole meanwhile? Meanwhile, Haman is visiting the king. Meanwhile, Esther's also got an appointment with him. And here's what that tells me is that when this circumstances surrounding me lead me to believe that that's the only thing that is happening, I know that God is working in some other place. He's working on my behalf even when I can't see him. And so even when I'm consumed with my circumstance, God is setting up other things up that are going to eventually affect what's going on in my life. Meanwhile, while you were crying, something was happening that you couldn't see. Meanwhile, while you were hopeless, something was going on to give you hope. Meanwhile, God was was working it out. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that God does his best work in places we cannot see. Matter of fact, we we should know this. Like it's coming on football season now, right? Who cares about baseball season? I'm a Met fan, by the way, for those of you who didn't know why that was funny. Who cares about baseball season? Football season is coming up. In a few, what is it, maybe a month or so, we're going to watch the Cowboys put it on the Giants like they always do. Right? I mean, we're going to see it. It's going to show up. It's going to happen. It's going to be there. We're going to watch the Cowboys 42, maybe the Giants score 7, 10 if they're lucky, something like that. And we're going to think, man, it just, just kind of happened. But we don't know there was training camp going on where they were getting it all together, and they, they were getting it right. And meanwhile, something was happening that, that made the sudden breakthrough possible. God does his best work in the dark. And when God showed me this through the Easter story one year, it was just, it was just explosive. He said the women, they got up um, before dawn, and they went to the tomb to finish preparing the body of Jesus, right, right at sunrise because they couldn't get there before sunrise because it was still the Sabbath. And so their intention was to, to continue to prepare the body because they hadn't had time to do it. And, and remember what was on their mind. They said, well, how are we going to roll the stone away? But when they got there at sunrise, the Bible says that the stone had already been moved out of the way. Well, in order for the stone to be moved out of the way at sunrise, it must have meant God was working in the dark before the sun came up. When everybody else was lamenting the crucifixion, God was planning the resurrection. When your enemy is planning your end, God is planning your new beginning again. God does his best work. In the dark. And so, so Esther plans a visit to go see the king. And she's going to go in uninvited. And this was big in Bible times. The king and the queen, they, they, they didn't spend time together like husbands and wives did right now. Even though she was the queen, she still needed to be invited into the king's presence. But, but she needed to get there urgently, and so she couldn't wait for an invitation. And she said, you know what, I'm going to just put this uh, in God's hand, although she doesn't mention God. She said, I'm going to just put it in God's hand. And she goes into the king's chambers uninvited. Now, if you did that in Bible times, you'd be killed. Because a king with such power and promise never knows who's coming in to kill him. 
And so that's why you have to have an invitation first. If you don't have an invitation, you just walk in, they assume that you're a threat to the king, they kill you on the spot. But as soon as Esther walks in, the Bible says the king took out the golden scepter and extended it to Esther. This meant she's got my favor. This meant she's allowed to be here. This meant that, that, that it's okay. We're on, we're on straight terms. And then the king looked at Esther and the king said this to Esther. What do you want up to half the kingdom? Now let me just push the pause button on you and tell you this. You get blessed in unusual ways. This is unusual favor. For Esther to receive fame, the golden scepter one hasn't been invited. How many of you know that our heavenly father has invited us? He said, come boldly before the throne of grace and you'll find grace and mercy to help in time of need. How much more favor should we get if God invited us to come into his presence? (laughs) Esther had nobody to introduce her to the king. As a matter of fact, the the king's right-hand man was Esther's enemy. But how many of you know we have an advocate with the Father? Jesus Christ, the righteous, who sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. How much more favor should you and I get in our lives? God wants you to have unusual favor in your life. Don't abdicate what God wants to give you. And so Esther is now in the company of the king. And the king says, well, what do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. That's a pretty generous offer, isn't it? How many of you know Jesus didn't limit us to half the kingdom? Here's what he said. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. He said, it's my good pleasure to give you the keys to the kingdom. What do the keys to the kingdom mean? It means that go wherever you need to go in the kingdom. Access whatever you need to access in the kingdom. The keys aren't physical keys. They're principles. Principles unlock the blessings of God. And so God wants to hear you. Hear your keys. I don't have my Bible because I have my phone, but my phone is on my Bible. Here's what God is saying to you. He's saying, here's the keys to the kingdom. Use it to unlock everything that heaven has to offer you. Use the keys, right? Not up to half the kingdom, all the kingdom. Esther says, well, you know, I just have one little request. She said, I want to cook you a meal. I want you to come over to a special place, and I'm going to make a banquet for you. He said, that's it? And she said, yep, but can you just bring Haman with you? By the way, she knew that the weight of a man's heart was through his stomach. I wish my wife didn't know that so much. (laughs) They came, they showed up. Everything was all right. By the way, did you know there's a timing for everything? See, Esther could have asked right there, but it wasn't the right time. How do you know the timing of God? I'm going to give you something that's so ambiguous right now. It's not going to clear it up for anybody, but it's going to help you. Here's how you know the timing of God. You've got to spend time with God. There are certain things in the kingdom that you can just feel. There's no other way to do it. You have to sense You have to have something on the inside, the Holy Spirit on the inside, who is leading you and who is guiding you. And you know, you hear people say all the time, well, well, God directed me and God led me. And you ask, well, how do you know God directed? There's some things in the kingdom that you can only sense. And the only way that you can sense those things is if you get the mind and the heart of God. If you begin to think like God and act like God and be like God. And the only way that you can think like God and act like God and be like God is if you spend time with God. So a lot of times what happens is we miss God's time. Because we, we, we don't have his heart. We haven't spent any time with him. So Esther said, no, I'm not going to ask you what I need right now, but come on and bring Haman with you. They get to the banquet. And while they, they ate, everybody's full, and they're all sitting back. They're all relaxing. And Esther says, I need to tell you something, old king, and Haman is right there. She said, do you know what he's been planning? He tricked you. He got you drunk into signing an edict so that you would give him permission to execute all of the Jews. He started with my Uncle Mordecai because Uncle Mordecai wouldn't bow down before. Did you know he was making every, everybody bow down to him like he's making everybody, like everybody's supposed to bow down to you, King? You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get your throne. Do you know that he's got a plan to execute all of the Jewish people? And the king got so enraged. You know what the king said? The king said this. He said, I want him hung on the gallows that he was being built, that he was building for the Jews. And when I read that verse the other day, you know what God said to my spirit he said boomerang See, what do you mean what does that mean next time somebody plots something against me I'm not even going to fuss with them I'm going to just say boomerang <laughs> they're not even going to know what I'm talking about but God's going to know what I'm talking about I'm like boomerang this is a fight you cannot win you cannot bless you cannot curse what God has blessed it's coming back on you 
He commands them to be hung on his gallows. And then Esther said, Esther goes, but king, there's still an edict. And you know about them edicts that you, we got we to gotta write a new edict to supersede the old edict in order to stop the old edict. And here's what the king says. I love this. Esther chapter 8. I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Verse number 8. He says, you yourselves. Who do you mean? You and Mordecai. You yourselves. Write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name. And seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. Here's what he said. You put on paper however you want the Jews to be treated, and I'll back it. Oh, man, God will give you double for your trouble. God will pay you back bigger than you ever know. Just stay faithful long enough to see what God is about to do. Stay faithful long enough to see the fingerprints on the crime scene. Stay stay, stay faithful long enough to see God show up in your life. And I love the fact that he said, he said, you decree it and I'll back it. How many of you know Jesus said the same thing? He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I'll back it. Start using the name of Jesus and God is going to back it. Anything that has the king's signet ring on it. Did you know that the Bible says you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? That is the signet ring. God has got your back. God will back whatever it is that comes from your life. Use your authority in Christ. God will back it. Use it and I'll back it. And so Esther writes the whole decree. Do you know what we leave on the table so many times? God says things like this. Ask whatever you want in my name and I'll do it for you. And we, we ask God, God, this month, I'd just like to pay the bills. You're in your own world again. See? It's all about your bills. Oh, Pastor, I just don't want to be greedy. If you don't want what God wants to bless you with, Use what you need and be a blessing to somebody else. God said, whatever, whatever, whatever you want, I'll back it. I mean, we understand that's in line with the word of God. It has to be in line with the word of God. Jesus told us the same thing. When I look over the life of Esther, Esther comes out of obscurity to become queen of Persia. She wins a beauty contest without wearing any makeup. She gets selected to be the queen of a nation that she is a foreigner in. Her uncle is hated by the prime minister who plots to kill him and his people. On his way to get the king's permission, the king just so happens to have insomnia. It just so happens that they bring him a bedtime story. It just so happens that the first thing he reads is that her uncle, who is on a henchman's hit list, saved the king's life. It just so happens that the king decides to honor him for what he did that was never noticed before. It just so happens that the person he makes carry out the blessing for her uncle is the guy who wanted to kill him. It just so happens that the king orders the man who was trying to kill her uncle to be hung on the gallows he built for her uncle. It just so happens that the king says, you write a new edict regarding the Jewish people. It just so happened that Esther was in the right place at the right time. God's name is not mentioned, but his fingerprints are all over the story. Dust your crime scene. Dust your Christ scene. Look back over your life and begin to see God's hand moving in your life. And if you can't see it now, I declare and I decree over your life that when it's all said and done, you will see the fingerprints of Almighty God over everything that concerns you because you are that important to Almighty God. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet.